Hello everyone, and welcome to Discussions in Dragons, the podcast where my brother and I take an in-depth look at the world of 5e and all things Dungeons and Dragons. Opening and closing music credit to Will Savino at patreon.com slash musicd20. I'm Britton. And I'm Jaren. And this week, we're discussing some of our personal beefs that we have with 5e as a gaming system. Now, first off, I did want to say that as we are going to be talking about our beefs with 5e, I don't want to have these episodes come off as we're just ragging on 5e or trashing this system just to trash it. This is all coming from a place of love and a place of wanting to improve on this system. Uh, You know, especially when you've been playing with a system for so long and you feel very connected to it and close to it and work with it on a you know, pretty frequent basis, I feel like the things that we love the most, we should be able to critique them so that we don't get too mired in our own love for the system. I think being able to critique something that we love offers some perspective and innovation as in terms of going to the future of what this game might be or what we expect from possibly sixth edition that we might see in a little while. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And um, I think because of the fact that there are so many homebrew rules that exist out there and custom uh, unearthed arcana, different uh, homebrew spells and magic items and whatnot, um, just shows the fact that the community really loves 5th edition and no one system can meet everybody's needs. So these are just our personal opinions about a couple of things with 5e and, and how we think that they could be improved. Yeah, absolutely. The... You know, like you said, with Unearthed Arcana and things like that, and all the homebrew rules that I've seen submitted to Reddit or D&D Beyond, I think that one of, before we talk about maybe it's 5e's weaknesses, I think that one of 5e's biggest strengths is its adaptability. People taking these core rule sets and building their own homebrew or building their own classes even and submitting them to these places just shows how malleable the rules of 5e can be. So when we are trying to create new classes or rules or even subsystems of 5e, it is a good rule set as a diving board. It's a good springboard to start with so that we can create even bigger and better ideas. Totally. Having said that, (laughs) Jaron, what do you have? Sure. So before we get into it, I kind of wanted to mention like the big elephant in the room, the fact that I think we all can agree combat in fifth edition takes a really long time of real world time. You know, a lot of times when we're entering an encounter, you can guarantee that it's going to take about an hour at least, if not more. Sometimes uh, it takes a lot longer depending on the size of the encounter. Um, I do recall one specific set of encounters in our Sunday night game um, that literally spanned two whole sessions because it was like three big encounters back to back. Um, It just, I think we can all agree that it's not not always the most engaging thing and it's especially in the in the times that we're playing D online it's uh it's sometimes not that engaging and um it's it's tough to uh to speed that up um so i don't want to dive too much into that but i just wanted to mention that's sort of my um uh you know my special mention my honorable mention about uh, some some beefs we have with 5e but my first point does have to do with combat and that is this weird situation in which combat is both turn-based and also simultaneous you know if you look into the player's handbook when it describes 
uh, one round of combat. It says one round's about six seconds, and it's comprised of everyone's turn in, in combat, um, which sort of implies some level of being simultaneous, right? So if, it, if one round is about six seconds, regardless of how many people, it kind of implies that everything happens at the same time. But there's this little thing that is pretty core and characteristic of 5th edition and of D&D in general, which is initiative. You know, that thing that is based on your dexterity bonus, and it says, you know, you, you roll a d20 and you add that, and that's kind of, it determines the order that you go in combat, which to me implies some level of being turn-based. Um, and then we have this thing called uh, reactions that says, you know, on uh, when somebody else takes an action, you can use your reaction to respond to that. And when it, you know, by the time that those things have resolved, when it's somebody else's turn, that thing has already taken place in time. It's not something that happens simultaneously. It happens in some sort of order. And so it, it happens to be both of those things at the same time. And I think it leads to uh, some things in D&D feeling like they don't matter. I think there's a lot in 5th edition that can feel like it doesn't matter. And I think combat being both turn-based and simultaneous shows one of those things. Um, that thing being certain like certain spells that have a duration of one minute in combat a lot of spells have uh their focus is is what they can do in combat and a lot of these spells have you know concentration at a duration of one minute um one minute in combat almost never happens because if you look at rules as written one round being about six seconds that is 10 rounds of combat and i you know i don't have the experience that some of you might have of 20 years of playing you know i i've got i got a few years um and i have never had an encounter i've been never been in one or dm'd one that has lasted 10 rounds save for maybe the end of campaign bbeg fights um but mostly like combat is like two and maybe three rounds you know especially as you get more players involved so like this one minute duration might as well be you know forever it's just it's it's you're almost never going to hit that um, so it's just really weird dynamic where like one minute duration doesn't matter because combat is both turn-based and simultaneous. I'm not sure. It's kind of odd. I have some suggested fixes, but I wanted to hear, uh, Britton, your thoughts. Yeah, I would a hundred percent agree with your point about the one minute could essentially be one hour could be one whole day because really you never get to that. Um, I don't think I've ever had a one-minute concentration spell broken by time restraints. It's either been by damage dealt to me, or I really want to cast a different concentration spell. So I don't think I've ever actually had a, a moment in my years of playing where the one minute fully gets expended. So it's, it's a weird duality that all seasoned D&D players have in their head that, yes, each round is six seconds, and 10 of those is a one-minute concentration. However, we're kind of suspending the reality of combat by saying, yes, uh, you've killed an elder god uh, in about nine rounds, and that was uh, about 54 seconds. So this elder god that had a crippling hold of madness and terror upon your world was vanquished in about 54 seconds. That's another effect of this. Um, it's this weird effect where, you know, after combat's over, you look back and you're like, well, that was three rounds. That's less than half a minute. And it's just, 
in my head that is really odd. Um, I, I really love fantasy, and I uh, have really loved things like the big epic battles in Game of Thrones and um, some of the, the big fights in the Wheel of Time series. I don't know if you've ever read that, but um, the big final battle takes several days. You know, and that's what I imagine like these big end of campaign fights being these really long epic battles. But if we look at rules as written, like you mentioned, they take about a minute, you know, and to me, a minute of time in D&D, like that's you going to the barkeep and getting a drink and going back to your table. That's the time it took you to beat the final boss of this major, you know, year or longer campaign. And that's just is kind of odd to me. Um you know, so like some of my, my suggestions as to ways that we could fix this is just to pick one and say that, yep, uh, combat's going to be uh, turn-based. Uh, it may make less, you know, realistic sense um, to, to just universally say that it's turn-based, uh, but it's kind of impractical to try to have everybody take their turn at the same time. Um, you know, we, we have things like initiative and reactions. Um, and then I think to follow up on that, if we were going to pick one and say that it's turn-based, maybe instead of one round being six seconds, we just say that each turn is six seconds. You know, you might hit that one minute turn, or that one minute uh, duration limit in combat. Um, combat is going to take longer than, you know, 15 to 18 seconds. It's going to take a couple of real, you know, in, in game time uh, minutes. Uh, I think that could have a, a really positive effect. And I know that it might result in um, some Things that are, you know, one minute duration, you, you might not actually get to resolve that. Um, you know, you in, in preparation, um, Britain, you had mentioned, I think it was Shield of Faith. Mm -hmm. um, which is an effect that, you know, lasts, uh, it, it, it boosts someone's AC for a duration of a minute. And depending on the order, depending on the number of uh, enemies that you're fighting, maybe you're in a, in a cave full of goblins where there's like 10 of them. And by the time that your ally gets to use that effect, well, it's been a minute. Um, so you might have to, you know, rethink uh, what you're going to do based on the, the ordering of initiative. But I think it could add an interesting dynamic to at least consider that duration. Right. And I, I may have misspoke earlier. Shield of Faith is a concentration up to 10 minutes. Um, I was actually co confusing that with another cleric spell, Bless. Bless is also concentration, but up to one minute. And especially later game, I don't think I've actually run out of spell slots in a day. Um, and I think that this may encourage players, this suggestion may encourage players to cast more spells. Yes, we have warlocks that don't really have that many spells to cast, even late game. However, there are cantrips, there are plenty of other things, there are plenty of builds to assist in a warlock being able to cast spells at will, you know, what have you. But um, this may encourage players to cast more spells or be mindful of the spells that they do cast that have a concentration time. Um, and while you were, while you were talking about this, I thought maybe something that might help alleviate this sort of non reality situation of each round lasting six seconds. And that seems, you know, very, very long to have basically 10 instances of a spell happening in one minute um, maybe just make them 10 seconds. That actually would probably help me conceptualize combat a little bit more, thinking about it as 10 seconds. Um, we're probably going to touch on this later about action economy, but it just seems like you can do a lot in six seconds, but there are some things that you're not allowed to do because it takes more than six seconds. But I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about action economy later because I know that's a point that you wanted to bring up. But yeah, I, I agree with um, 
how combat is one of the longest things to happen in 5e uh, in a session and one of the shortest things to happen in game time. Yeah, that's a, it's a weird thing that it's been tough to get used to. Um, I do have one other suggestion for a fix, and this is maybe less of a serious suggestion, more one that I think would be an absolute blast to play test to see what, what effect it would have. Uh, and this sort of addresses uh, the time situation and as well as uh, combat taking forever in real world time. Um, and as you know, I mentioned earlier, I really love these uh, fictional big end of end of uh, story battles um, you know that takes several hours when you're watching it on, on uh, Game of Thrones or it's you know a big couple hundred page chapter in Wheel of Time where this big awesome last final battle takes place um, but I would love to try out an idea where like in-game combat was real time you know when you sat down and cast your one minute spell it lasts for one minute of real time you know so when your your allies are taking forever to take their turn you're elbowing them going hey man hurry up we only got a minute you gotta you know, pick up the pace a little bit here uh and then when combat's finally over and you go wow we just spent four hours killing the boss it was four hours of in-game in-game world time and that makes more sense to me than well we we beat the boss in a minute oh my gosh could you imagine, like, <laughs> could you imagine that having everyone just speed through and rolling dice and maybe you could have some sort of timer, like, a, as I'm describing what I'm doing, this is the time that it takes, but rolling dice, you know, you shouldn't try to speed through rolling dice because that, you know, could mean errors in, in counting. But I think that'd be kind of fun to try to play a combat that's like, yeah, this took an hour in game time. This was a long fight. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, yeah, it does seem kind of realist, unrealistic to the story, especially, you know, I've asked my DM plenty of times after a fight and being like, okay, what time is it now? And they're like, well, that took about six rounds. So that was less than a minute. So it's the same time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, but okay. in real world, you just spent an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, it is kind of goofy that that is the system that's in place. Maybe they could improve upon that. I, I don't know. I would love to play test some of those things, though. Yeah, I had another idea too, and this would kind of speed up um, just combat in general. It, it's not going back to like, let's make time uh, real time, but um, something I discussed before we uh, started the episode was uh, giving each player uh, a timer, you know? Uh, let's say like you get 15 seconds to take your turn, and you can ask me whatever you want, but uh, that's the time that you get to say what you're going to do, roll the dice, and we'll see if it hits, and if you don't give me what you're going to do in that time, we're just moving on. I think, you know, maybe that would be a little bit better of a fix and not uh, ruin your one minute duration spells because someone didn't talk as fast as you like them to. Right. I think that just, it's, it's just so unfortunate that combat is so like, it's so fun to do when it's your turn. Yeah. Absolutely. And when it's not, you're just slugging through like, God, okay, I can't RP. So I can't interject and say anything fun. I can't, interact with an npc i'm just kind of sitting around waiting for my turn yeah rp can happen in combat for sure but only on your turn and say well you got a group of four and there's five six gnolls that you're fighting so that's 10 turns in between yours and your next turn and it's very annoying to just sit there and wait for another thing that you can do so yeah on the flip side, I, I, I know that a lot of people really love combat, so I, I won't uh, I won't harp on it too much more than than I already have. Right. 
Well, now it's my turn to harp. Um, something that I've noticed, I, I think I had actually mentioned it in the last episode regarding uh, homebrew rules, was I was talking about how I don't particularly enjoy the fact that in the list of skills, um, the things that you can be proficient in, history, religion, arcana, and nature are all under intelligence. I'm not a fan of the fact that 5e has created basically a list of skills that under intelligence are just subjects that you would study in school. I don't like that you have to waste an entire proficiency in just like, yeah, I know that subject. Yeah, I've, I've, I've studied that subject before. I think that perhaps a fix could be instead of having, you know, arcana, history, nature, and religion, maybe just a general study. Like, you can be learned without being committed to your studies. I would say I went to college. I I learned things. I'm generally a pretty semi-intelligent person. But that doesn't mean that I stick to my studies. It doesn't mean I read up on new material in my field of study all the time. And so I think that you can be intelligent and not learned or not committed to your to your field of study. So I think that maybe a study skill or a studied, a learned, something like that, so that there's not four different skills basically doing the same thing. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. And I think um, there's certainly a lot to be said about those skills being tied to uh, other uh, abilities of your character. Um I know you've mentioned uh, clerics a lot and that religion doesn't necessarily have to be tied to intelligence. I think in that case, it's, you know, a lot to do with your experience as a person of the faith and druids as well, you know, with, with, uh, nature being an intelligence based thing. It's, I think, uh, for druids specifically, you know, depending on your, your character's background and, and their, their upbringing, um, is most definitely something that doesn't have to be tied to intelligence. It's it's more about your experience and your connection to your surroundings rather than, you know, did I go to school and read this in a book? So I think there's a lot to be said. There's certainly a good case to be made for most of those skills being not necessarily tied down to intelligence. Right. And, like, I'm, I'm looking at the the Pathfinder list of skills uh it's even worse there are 10 skills tied to essentially this it's just a knowledge skill and then there's arcana dungeoneering engineering geography history local nature nobility planes and religion that's so many that you're just kind of wasting on basically a school role how well did i do in school it's it's very bothersome especially when you look at wisdom wisdom is far different there's Animal handling, insight, medicine, perception, survival, all those are vastly different. Um, animal handling, how well you can kind of use your wisdom to handle and work with animals. You've got insight is how well you can kind of intuitively look at into a person. Medicine is how well you can take care of a dying person, essentially. Perception is how you perceive your world, which can be tied to insight. Um, and survival, how well you are intuitively out in the wilderness. These are all very different things. I wouldn't say, like, you can't go to school for insight. You can't go to school for perception. Um, it's just things that you've picked up, things that you've learned along the way. So it kind of seems really silly that 
there are four essentially schools of study under the intelligence uh, skill. I, I would agree. And that, that reminds me of um, a campaign that I played in uh, where one of our DMs, uh, a homebrew, I don't know if it was really like a rule, but um, it was uh, a way that he played. And it was basically, if you can describe uh, a way that you would use a different skill to make a certain check and it was believable and it made sense, you would you know certainly allow it. And I think this is, you know, a, a, a situation where you could, as the DM, say, you know, based on your backstory, uh, if you know, you can describe a way that your character was was bra- uh, was raised, or you know, for example, like the druid or, or cleric examples, um, give a, a good reason why those proficiencies don't have to be tied to those specific skills. You know, you could say, well, you could be proficient in religion, um, and it could be a wisdom based because of the way that you are brought up based on your character's backstory. You put some work into thinking about this and it makes more sense that, yeah, they'd be proficient in religion or nature. It's not tied to intelligence. Right. All right. Well, one of my pretty regular consistent issues is level four is not that exciting. It kind of sucks. You know, I don't think I've ever been really excited about hitting level four Except for the fact that it gets me closer to level five, where things really start to take off. You know, if you're a spellcaster at level five, you get you get third level spells. Um, a lot of new class features, like the really important ones, uh, open up at level five. Level four really feels like in their last revisions of before they sent out the fifth edition player's handbook, someone was like, hey, you know, you don't really get anything at fourth level. And they were like, yeah, you know what? Um, just let them take a feat. Yeah, problem solved. You know, that's kind of what it feels like, is that fourth level, it's mostly like you either take a feat or you buff uh, one of your stats so you can increase your save DC. And I think the problem with that is a lot of feats really aren't that great. You know, Tosh has added a bunch of them, and some of them are, you know, okay. Um, but they're none that I, like, I'm really jazzed about and excited about. A lot of them are just not that great. So you have a small handful of decent feats. And it's like, well, do I want to be, uh, do I want to take Sentinel or the Observant feat, or do I want to boost my spell save DC at level four? That's kind of what fourth level feels like. And I know that you do get, like some classes do get some features that open up, but um, even the ones that you do get at fourth level, I feel like are kind of bland. And I do understand, before I go further, I, I recognize that, you know, not every level needs to be game-breakingly uh, powerful. Um, I just think that, you know, you should be excited about every time you level up and it shouldn't be this, well, I guess I'm going to boost my stats or I'm going to take the Sentinel feed, I guess. Um, you know, so going back, I know the classes do get some features, uh, but I think even those are really not all that exciting. You know, just for example, like Druid gets their wild shape challenge rating limit. It goes up by uh, one quarter, which is, you know not all that exciting monks get slow fall so they can you know reduce their falling damage okay um spell casters can cast more spells at a level they already have okay that's kind of not really that something i'm like really excited about hitting fourth level for maybe maybe that's just me no i totally agree as you were talking i was flipping through my php to to check on that and that's very true the only thing that i really saw was Monks with their slow fall and Druid with their wild shape improvement. Level four does kind of seem very underwhelming. Um, I think for the payoff that you get, I 
I don't know. I you know we we talked about this in in a previous episode about how feet sometimes don't feel natural. They feel like oh suddenly I'm just hit with this burst of knowledge, um, and I guess I have this now. Um, versus how a level up with health feels natural. Like yes, as you progress, you just get stronger. That makes sense. Um, ability score improvements sometimes feel a little bit more. Uh, natural as well say you know i've been casting a lot of spells lately it just seems natural that my spell casting mod would go up um but feats don't really feel that earned so level four does seem very underwhelming and it is kind of a stepping stone to level five because level five is where things start to kick off and your characters become a little bit more serious um, they get things that I think their a lot of their proficiency bonuses in, improve. They get access, like you said, to third level spell slots. And that's even that's a pretty Huge. big power bump. And that feels great to cast your first third level spell, especially as, as a lower level. You get fireball. That's awesome. Yeah, you get fireball. And, you know, it's it's sometimes it's just hard to justify fourth level. Um, and I think we talked about it before. Maybe you had had, set, had mentioned it. Sometimes you just feel like skipping it as a DM and just, all right, so we're bumping from three to throw, throw something a little bit tough at your players at level three. And if they defeat it really well, all right, you're bumped up to level five. You've yeah. done it. You, you took on the thing that was a little bit too big for you to chew, but you persevered and you moved through it and you grew stronger as a team. You're now now level five. Yeah. I might do that and just montage, you know, the, the time between fourth and fifth level. Uh, just because fourth is really not all that exciting, like I said, except for the fact that you're almost to fifth level. Um, so that's that's one of my ideas to sort of sidestep the uh, how non-rewarding fourth level feels. I just think generally they just need better things at fourth level that aren't you know a couple of the good feats or boosting your spell save DC. Um, so besides, you know, giving fourth level some more love, besides skipping fourth level, um, another thing I really would like to see, um, as you mentioned, feats, they're, they're kind of odd sometimes. They don't really feel earned. They sort of feel like, oh, I'm fourth level. Suddenly I can wear medium armor or suddenly I, I have this or whatever it is. Um, I would really, in, in addition to seeing fourth level get some more love, I would like to see feats being more of a... Uh, a DM reward, you know, sort of like inspiration is a DM reward for good role play. Um, I think it, it would make more sense if uh, feats were a reward for things that your character has done over time. You know, they've your your DM has recognized that you make uh, specific uh, attempts to be aware of your surroundings and ask for perception checks and uh, see if you can listen in on conversations. And so like at a certain appropriate time, they go, well, you have the observant feet now and in a tangible way, you're actually better at that thing. Um, you know, or you've, you've been, um, uh, you know, practicing your spell casting in the middle of combat and you unlock spellcaster because of that repeated effort over time as the, a, a DM reward. And I'm not saying like, let's remove feats and make them uh, only, you know, uh, something that can be handed out instead of chosen. But I'm saying, like, we need to do both of those and also, like, give fourth level more love so that feats feel like they're earned and not, well, I have to choose this because fourth level is garbage. Uh, and also just, like, give better feats so that there's not, not like, five good ones and 25 not-so-great ones. And, like, six of them are interesting for role-playing and that's it. Right. <laughs> yeah, it 
yeah maybe that's another another conversation is a is our our beef with feats um but i definitely agree i just i think that fourth level is kind of underwhelming and I guess segueing off of that, speaking of fourth level and leveling and comparing your levels to other levels, I would like to talk about the constitution ability. Now, when it comes to leveling up, constitution is what you would use to add your your con modifier to your hit point roll using your hit points die to uh, increase your maximum hit points when you level up. Con is also used when you are in a fight and you need to withstand either poison or cold or something like that. You, you're you using the, the physical toughness of your body to persevere through that effect. You're usually rolling a con save. And that's about it. Those are two things that con is used for and the only two things that con is used for. And I just... I'm feeling very underwhelmed by Khan as a whole ability. It is one of six abilities that you can dump your stats into. And I think that just being able to survive through something based off of your body's physical toughness leaves a whole ability that you would choose to either make your dump stat or put a lot of points into just kind of underwhelming. Um, I, I think that there should be a skill. There should be a con-based skill, I believe. Maybe an endurance skill if you have to. I, I know there's athletics, but athletics seems a little bit more strength-based to me. I think there should be some sort of endurance skill. Maybe doing something for a long time or being able to persevere through harsh conditions. Um, I don't know. I just I, I don't enjoy that there are five wisdom and intelligence skills each. So 10 that involve essentially your brain, one that involves your uh, body's physical prowess, which is athletics, and then none that actually involve a skill that or an ability that you put points into just for health. It seems kind of ridiculous, um, especially if you think about, all right, at worst, I'm taking worst case scenario, we are a level 10 wizard. We have a, let's say, one, a plus one in our con modifier. So we're at level 30, and we've rolled min every time. That's 20 points in total, plus your six plus max con modifier would be 28. That's 28 points at 10th at level. That really sucks, and that feels bad. And I don't, I just don't know if I think that con should actually be an ability because you're not doing anything with it. If you think about what an ability is, that's something that branches off and, all right, I'm dexterous. There's an ability of mine, I'm dexterous. So what can I do? I can pickpocket, I can sneak, I can parkour places. Okay, let's think about con. All right, I one of my skills is I'm, 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 I'm for, uh, constitutional. I am, my constitution is high. Okay, well, that's an ability. What can you do with that? Uh, I can, can stand there and endure something. Can probably resist poison. Yeah, yeah it's not it. an, it's not an active thing that you are using. Therefore, I don't really think that it should be an ability. You know, I think that maybe health should just 
go up. It, maybe your health increase should be something that increases with your proficiency. Maybe um, because your body's getting better, you're able to do things. I think maybe you should just roll your hit die and it goes, the, the increase is your proficiency bonus. So from level one to four, it's plus two. So you roll your dice plus two. Um, and it's that way you don't have these big disparities of like, Oh, I played at level 10 wizard and he had 28 health. Oh, really? I played a, I rolled really high and I rolled, you know, I'm playing a level 10 wizard and they've got 60 health. That's a vast difference. And I just don't know if I agree with that sort of health system. Yeah, the more that you mention it, the more I, I kind of agree that con as an ability is kind of odd since there's, like you said, there's not really, um, you know, skills that are tied to it. And it's really just used for, like, can you resist poison and your hit points? Um, maybe it's time to move con away from the ability scores. You know, maybe there's a, a better sixth skill that can go in there. Or, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, a better sixth ability that can go in there. And your hit points are tied to something else, like you said. Yeah, I think that would be a fun thing to try to playtest as well. Maybe we just have an entire playtest campaign. You and I think of all of our playtest stuff, and we're going to shove it all into one campaign and completely change, basically, play 5e with all of our changes and see how it works. I would love to do that. Um, but yeah, like I said, it just feels really bad to be the person that's kind of like the weakling of the group and now... You just kind of feel like, all right, well, I got hit with one fireball. I'm unconscious, and it's round two. Right. Yeah, that's no fun. All right, and lastly, my last point with 5e, at least for this episode, um, is the point on action economy. It makes higher-level combat a real challenge to balance. And if you're unfamiliar with the term action economy and what we're talking about in context of 5th edition combat, um, that is this concept that... Um, the more proactive things that you can do during combat, the better advantage you have. And this is regardless of uh, the, the players or the enemy's level. And to give a sort of a ridiculous example to prove the, to, to illustrate the point, um, if we take a look at one situation, you got, you know, let's say you're a fifth level fighter. You know, you're pretty strong, pretty beefy, multiple actions in combat, and you're 1v1ing with a basic single goblin. Seven hit points. You're going to murder that thing, no problem. Um, let's take a different situation. Same fifth level fighter. Same abilities, same weapons, same number of actions. And now you're facing 20, like 20 of these goblins. You know, it was a good chance you're going to take out a bunch of them. But the fact that there are so many of them, they get to do so many things in combat. Um, they're taking so many more actions than you. The fact that there are 20 of them versus you, very good chance that a bunch of them are going before you in combat. It's going to be a pretty difficult fight. You know, there's a good chance they're going to, they might even like straight up kill you because of just how many things they get to do in combat. So that's the illustration of action economy. Doing more proactive things gives you a big advantage. And um, as your characters get stronger, as you, as you level up, those actions tend to be much stronger, much more powerful. Um, and, uh, you know, as a, as a DM, it's, uh, I kind of want combat to feel threatening and dangerous and feel like it might be a tough fight. Um, I want to get close to that point where it actually is going to be a deadly fight. And I, you know, I know some, some DMs kind of approach this differently and they just let the dice fall as they may. Um, I'm trying to make a, a fun, uh, fun campaign where, you know, I, I'm not really wanting to straight up kill people, uh, kill off player characters. Um, 
you know, maybe like Final Battle will will let that happen. But you know, I I do want to get close to that point where it feels like it might be deadly. Um, getting close to that point becomes more difficult as players level up because of action economy, because of what they get to do becomes so much more strong. Um, and with larger parties, uh, you know, our, our stunning group, I don't know if you've experienced this feeling or not, but you know, we've got six people in the group and this campaign specifically tends to be a lot of single enemies, like one big giant or a couple of big giants. And even if there's four of them, they're still outnumbered by our party of six. The fact that they, you know, you guys outnumber them, it's a good chance, like we illustrated in the example, that you're going to get to go first, or that you're going going to uh, have at least uh, you know two or three of the party going before they even take a single action, and because we're all eighth level, um, each one of those actions deals a significant amount of damage. So the result of that is by the time it is the enemy's turn, they're starting combat with like half health, if not already being dead. Um, it's just that that strength of action economy makes that encounter makes these encounters really tough to balance you know i could give them uh you know way more hit points or make each hit be so much stronger but the result of that would be well by the time it's their turn they're going to one shot the party and you know it's kind of unbalanced in the other direction it's just it's really tough to make it a close fight because of like i said being able to do more proactive things in combat and Specifically, when you level up higher, each one of those actions being that much stronger, uh, it's it's tough to find that balance. Um, and that just leads into a point we talked about earlier where, yeah, like once you have a bunch of players and they're all taking a bunch of actions, especially like even if you have a small party of three or four, but one of them happens to be a fighter and they're taking multiple, action, multiple attacks in their turn and action surge to take two more attacks, um, you know, they're, they're still dealing a significant chunk if they get to go before the enemies. Um, and that's on top of, oh, we also have a rogue who gets sneak attack damage. And that's like half of an enemy's hit points. By the time the enemy gets to go, they're almost dead. And it's their first turn in combat. Right. I, and I absolutely see what you're saying because like, this is what I actually wanted to talk about when I was bringing up action economy in your first point regarding combat seeming a little unrealistic with the timing of things because if you think about what you can do in a turn there is so so much that you can do with a turn you have your action you have a bonus action you have your movement and you have a reaction and you even have things that you can do while moving i was looking through you know in preparation today looking through the php there is a list on page 190 of things that you can do while you are moving and some of those things are draw or she the sword, pick up a dropped axe, throw a lever of a switch, put your ear to a door, kick a small stone, turn a key into a lock. And that's just things that are in tandem with your movement. So action, bonus action, put a key into a lock and turn it. Reaction. All of that happening in six seconds. And we've actually seen a really good example of this in uh, our campaign um, where our druid casts, you know, conjure animals and suddenly there's a wolf pack of eight wolves. They don't hit for that much, but the fact that there's so many of them makes encounters extremely one-sided. And I'm not complaining about our, our campaign or our group. This is just me, uh, you know, pointing out one of my, my major beefs with 5e, and this is specifically having to do with action economy. Um, yeah, action economy balance. It, it makes it really difficult for, I feel like it makes it really awesome for players 
and really difficult for DMs to try to balance an encounter and feel like the enemies that you've put in front of them are deservedly defeated. Right, right. Rather than, I've got a party that knows exactly what they're going to do. They are a tactical squad. I'm going to put all these people in front of them, and they're going to knock them down within the first two or three rounds just because action economy and being able to do these things. And you may you know, use a an encounter calculator online and it may say deadly, but that doesn't account for human knowledge of the game and action economy being able to do all of these things every round. Right. I did have a, a few suggested fixes. And again, these would absolutely need to be play tested because these were just things that I thought of off the top of my head that I thought might at least attempt to balance it out a little bit better. Um, one would be uh, based on the number of uh, PCs in the combat or, or maybe how much they outnumber the enemies, um, give those enemies more reactions. You know, So instead of just one reaction in a turn, if, if it's like, well, there's six players and one enemy, maybe give them like two or three reactions in their turn. You know, so that they're not going, well, my one reaction was to defend against that thing, but there's five more things coming at me before I, I can even make an attack. You know, um, another idea I had would be um, if you've ever checked out any of uh, Matt Colville's videos on YouTube, um, he had a whole one dedicated to action-oriented monsters. And I actually used this in our Sunday campaign, and it was really successful. Um, but the idea of giving um, these enemies not necessarily legendary actions, but certain like boss actions that they can do, you know, certain things where they can rally the troops or call in more reinforcements or, you know, move their allies about the battlefield. Just giving them different things that they can do on their turn that isn't simply movement and attack um, to kind of like, you know, maybe balance it out a little bit better. Um, another idea that I had would be, uh, giving enemies, you know, some sort of uh, preparation round. Um, you know, if depending on, I don't know what the formula would be, but depending on how outnumbered they are, you know, maybe they can take an action before combat starts that isn't an attack. You know, like maybe they get to position themselves strategically. You know, if it's, you know, a party of uh, six players versus two enemies, they can kind of maneuver and get themselves ready for combat. Um, just to, you know, make it such that they aren't just sitting there standing, taking half of their, their health before they can even do anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So th those are just some of my, my ideas to m maybe balance out this disparity, this, uh, how strong action economy is. And I, I do remember, I, I don't remember if I heard it on a, on a video or if I read it somewhere, but I... Remember somebody mentioning that D&D &D is, is best with, with parties of, like, four, you know? And that's making more sense to me as I see how strong, you know, your group of sixes, our Sunday night group of six, um, just because of action economy in combat, being able to do a bunch of stuff before enemies can even take a shot. Right. I think that maybe that might be a pitfall that we're falling into right now with... Uh having six people maybe we'll have a pared down team next time when you do run your next campaign but i think that i wouldn't discount all of your grievances just because we have six people i think that those are definitely some very valid points and you know i think that when we think of our favorite like rpg games and things like that um especially turn-based or or even non-turn-based when you're playing games maybe like hades where it's like 
yep, these characters that I'm supposed to fight are all predictable. They're going to jump and swing a sword in a big arc. And I have to dodge that and then do my attack as the counterattack. And then they're going to jump, swing their sword, do the counterattack. These are characters that are essentially just as smart as you are. And they will not be predictable in battle. They will use tactics and things like that. So I think that perhaps maybe a preparation round would be kind of cool where, yeah, they get a chance to move tactically because that's what they've been trained to do is protect your king. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to do that. But yeah, those are my, those are at least my beefs for today. I know that we're going to be probably doing a a couple, maybe a couple sections of our beefs with five E and maybe different, different things in the book. Uh, Today was kind of focused a little bit on more on the combat side. Um, I know I had some, some skills that I have beefs with, um, but yeah, I like that we were talking about combat because combat is such a big part of 5e. It definitely needs some restructuring. Yeah, and it's it's always been this way. Combat's always been a uh, a focus of Dungeons & Dragons. You know, looking back to very early Dungeons & Dragons, it existed as dungeon crawls, basically. You go into a dungeon and you fight some enemies. Combat has been a characteristic of Dungeons & Dragons from the very beginning. So we're not trying to eliminate combat. We're just trying to... I guess modernizing it, modernize it, bring bring it to a, uh, an enjoyable level for us today. Um, we do enjoy combat. We would just like to maybe improve it. I'll say. For sure, for sure. All right. Well, that is actually our show this week. Thank you guys so much for stopping by. And if you liked this episode, please check out our future episodes, which are released every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Central. Next week, we are going to be continuing the discussion of our beefs with 5e. Next week, specifically talking about spellcasting. This has been Discussions in Dragons. I'm Britton. And I'm Jaren. See you guys next time.